They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. Hello, do-badders! Welcome to Bad Boy Running. Uh, it's David here. Got a bit of an unusual episode this week. Jodie's on a holiday, and we had a bit of an issue on Monday with the, the guests and clashes, and Ali's busy all week. So, um, I've been left with no one to rein me in for the intro and the outro, because we want to make sure we're still putting a, a podcast out. But um, at the same point, didn't want to just go straight into the interview. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. This won't be typical of your new listener, um, but I thought I'd talk about a couple of studies that you might find interesting. That uh, One's a bit older, um, one's recently been highlighted. The first one's actually to do with stress fractures, and I know it's an issue that I think it's the people I, who I've known who've got stress fractures tend to be first-time marathon runners can be a really big issue but I think it can creep up on a lot of us and in the past people have always said that um, or suspected that really hard sessions um, those are the training sessions that have been the the, the issue with with stress fractures they're the ones where it's caused the most impact on the joints and um, they've actually done a study where they've looked at instead of asking people how they run and then analyzing the rate of hip of stress fractures over that time instead they they actually just took them to the track and analyzed the amount of force going through their legs in slow medium and fast runs and what they found actually was very um, counterintuitive because when you run quickly your, your your legs are barely on the ground but also you're you're taking very long strides yes the the force that goes through your your legs i think it was the tibia in effect in in particular like the shin bone which is the the biggest issue it does have a greater force going through it but they found that the actual impact on slower um, running was greater because your foot is on the floor for longer but also you take shorter steps which means that you're the total impact going through the tibia during a session is greater. They've uh, they've they've they haven't really extenuated that fully yet to know, you know, is it the total force during a session that is the issue, or is it the the intensity of that force? But they have said they're they're going to continue with this study, but it does suggest that it's not speed work that is the trouble with. Um, with stress fractures, which I, I guess is good for all of us. Um, I don't think it means that you, you won't get a stress fracture if you do speed work, but I think it means you shouldn't avoid doing speed work if um, if that is your concern. Second study I wanted to talk about, which I thought was, I, I think most people, it's, it's quite rare that we get it wrong or that the perception is wrong within, I think it's, it's true of running in general and runners in general, um, but in ultra runners, we are old dogs that take a while to change our tune, but this one is to do with sodium supplements. And they did a study. Um, I think it was even Runner's World who may have done the study. 
if not, no, it was the, the Applied Physiology, Nutrition and Metabolism um, research, research, as it says. They polled a thousand ultra runners and, and asked them about their use of salt in ultra races, but also whether they think that salt should be provided during an ultra race. So it's really interesting because 66% of participants thought that sodium supplements should be made available during ultra marathons. And of the 34% who said they didn't think it should be provided, 85% of those, let's quickly do the maths. Oh, that's a hard one. Well, we're looking at about 28%, let's say, of, of the total answer, people who answered, um, said it was because they don't think it's necessary because they have their own salt on them. And it was only 12% of the people that responded that they don't think it should be provided said that they think it's it's a risk of people overhydrating. Now, the study has actually shown that um, on ultra marathons lasting between 15 to 30 hours, that no sodium supplements are required, which to me is quite surprising. And I know when we go out and do the Marathon de Sable, we're running through the desert. I don't know if that changes things, obviously the heat, um, but we all take our salt tablets. But they, they've said that actually one of the, the biggest dangers is that if you take too much salt, you actually then absorb all the water, you reduce the amount of pee you have, and that's very high high concentration of salt coming out. But you also lose your thirst, which suggests to you that you should be drinking more water. And I know the recent cases in the London Marathon of people having issues with water is because they've drunk too much, not because they've drunk too little. So the article, uh, the best way to find it, because I think this is the one that's probably worth most people reading just to get in their head the information, the accurate information. I'm not going to go through it all here, but about how much salt we need in our races. Um, but it's Runners World, and if you put sodium supplements, ultra marathons, hopefully the article will come up. Really good one, actually, because it's just using all of the, the research and also the survey results. But it does suggest that 88% of us 88% of the people who answered the survey actually had the wrong information um, because we're all thinking we need to take on a huge amount of salts. We do need some salts. It's not saying that, but just by having the standard nutrition that we use in our race, when we race, you know, our gels, um, various, our sports drinks, those have a lot of electrolytes in. And even if we do have an issue of not having enough salt in our in our race nutrition then the body can borrow from even the bones has salt in them that can be mobilized um and the connective tissues so i mean that that was quite interesting in itself so those are the two articles that i thought could be quite interesting for you to hear um obviously it would be lovely to discuss them with someone else so there's a little intro for you. For a change, we're not going to be here for hours before the interview. It's a really interesting one with Anya, who's been our social media manager for a while. But also a lot of you in the group and on the podcast know because of her experience running the Marathon Sabla a couple of years ago. So um, we're going to get straight on with the interview. Right, do Dubellas, tonight's guest is one of our inner circle, if you will. Um, she is the head of propaganda. Uh, she wields the banhammer in the BBR admin group. 
uh, and she's just a total legend all round, to be quite honest. Um, so I wanted to get Anya on because she is going to talk about some things that might actually bring true to some do-betters, experiences you've had, feelings you've had, some thoughts you've had, then some things that definitely won't ring true to you. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Anya Mavani. Yay! Was there really? That was a solid intro. Guess what? I wrote it down. Ah, very yeah. good. Yeah, I've had quite a day today, so I wrote it down and I was thinking about it. Um, how are you, Anya? Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, can't complain. Sat in your sat in your room sat talking in to us. Yeah. Um, well. I've wanted to get you on for ages because um, I think everybody in the group knows that uh, a few couple of years ago you went and ran Sandy Jog Week, uh, aka MDS, um, and and there was quite a strange turn of events. I don't think that that's any secret. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I've, I thought that maybe um, we had a conversation as well a little while ago about something else, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, and I just thought, talking to you on the phone, you're awesome. So um, I don't really know where to start. I guess from reading a couple of the things that you've written, I'm kind of interested in the, the why you decided to sign up for MDS to begin with. Um, yeah, uh, it was a huge error, wasn't it, in the end? Um, <laughs> um, I was... I've been working in hospitality and more specifically in beer for a really long time, Um, so like 11 years, Um, and that was kind of all I did with my time in the end was beer stuff, Um, and I was working in a job that made me really, really unhappy, Um, wasn't functioning very well, Um, I was kind of just at a point of being unhappy where I, I couldn't just make simple decisions like I was managing um I was managing a place um which will remain nameless but um you know I'd have staff coming to me and asking me simple questions like how do you want this set up for an event or whatever and I was just like fuck off I don't know (laughs) I couldn't I couldn't process things I was just miserable um and with that I just found that I was drinking a lot um and it wasn't necessarily like binging it wasn't huge quantities but it was it was just regular because it was there all the time. Um, and yeah, I was having, I was having a pretty grim time. Um, it was, it was a bad job. And so, so it, was it, was it literally like there is beer wherever you go and you have to drink it? <laughs> I mean, it's, no one's making you drink it, but it's definitely expected of you. Like it's just kind of what you do in that industry. And I think looking back on it now, no one ever actually says to you, oh, we work with something that's really dangerous and it's there all the time. Um, and kind of look out for it. We have a conversation. All right, pickle. So, so would that be would that be the end of each shift? You'd because you know yeah. when I worked in bars, that's when you typically well you'd sometimes drink during work, but that that probably wasn't allowed technically. Um, but was it more the end of the shift, your bonding session? Yeah, it, I mean, it turned out like, it was kind of more of like a commiseration session where it was just like, oh god, that was awful, and we've got to do it tomorrow. Like, let's have a beer. Um, oh, wow, well, <laughs> well, that, that's classic, isn't it? Celebration, commiseration, both of those things yeah. end in beer. It's like something's happening, beer. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't. I think at the time it wasn't sort of at the fore I wasn't thinking oh gosh I have a terrible issue with drinking but I just became gradually aware that I couldn't remember the last day that I hadn't had a drink and that wasn't something that felt good um and I just yeah I just became really aware of that and yeah I had a lot going on personally as well that 
was just having a huge impact and I just didn't feel like the person I used to be at all I was a bit of a husk um so classic crisis thought oh I'll sign up to something really hard and that'll fix my life (laughs) and yeah my cousin had done MDS years ago and told me about it and at the time I thought oh cool yeah I'll want to do that one day and then it was over a beer I was just like hmm yeah I think it might be time to do that so yeah I signed up and it were was, you running already at that stage? I mean, had you done any other challenges or kind of built up at all? Or I've done. I think I'd done some tough mudders like a few years previous. That's perfect. That's perfect. Wet, Pretty cold, tough. muddy, ten k. <laughs> it's just like the ultimate uh, crisis. Crisis challenges. Um, so yeah, less than tough mudders, um, and I wasn't doing anything at the time I'd not done anything in several years um, apart from lifting heavy barrels up and down stairs a lot um, and that was something that was making me unhappy is that I wasn't fit like growing up I'd always been really slim I used to dance a lot I was quite a fit person always hated running but I was quite a fit person um, and then yeah to kind of go through uni and come out a little bit chubbier and then go into the boost industry and it just was like oh god how did we end up here you know what uh, I've actually my friends have actually recently on whatsapp started putting up pictures of us at university and I literally look like a beer barrel like I've got a little beer face <laughs> and I've got a little beer body oh, can you li- put them up um, no I look a little we- bit like Pete from the Libertines in fact I look a lot like Pete from the Libertines <laughs> but yeah it's like this you, you come out of uni this little round bubble and then you keep going on and getting rounder and more bubbly as it goes on yeah yeah completely I remember my, when I used to go home my mum would be like darling are you uh, are you eating well are you looking after yourself I was like clearly not mum look at me like, I'm a mess so yeah it just kind of got to that point and so, yeah so I signed up out of that and then it was kind of like an accountability thing um I mean I kind of joke about it but I was I was desperately unhappy and I had tried to make adjustments to fix that and I had tried to eat better and tried to care more for myself but it just wasn't happening um so I was like it just felt like the only way to do it was to do something that for for me at that time would have been impossible and to tell people I was going to do it and then have people being like well, you won't be able to like having people doubt me or having people check in and be like, are you you training? And that seemed like the only way to actually shift out of this horrible cycle I'd gotten into. And is is that because you're almost having to battle against the, the way of life of an entire industry? Yeah. I mean, I think just before I'd signed up, um, I basically got told I was going to be made redundant. Um, And it was kind of a relief actually, because I was like, Oh, thank God. Like, I'm going to leave this and it, it was taken out of my hands and it's it's not on me to make this huge choice. Um, so I got told I was going to be made redundant and then because I did nothing to fight it, they basically were like, oh, look, you've quit and then kind of screwed me over pretty massively. But um, yeah, so it was thankfully all kind of taken out of my hands. And, and as I left the job, like it all kind of changed, at least the drinking changed overnight um, as soon as I left that environment. Mm. Uh, started working from home a lot more. Um, I started freelancing, um, which kind of just fell into my lap. I was quite lucky with that. Um, people needed beery stuff, writing, and I have words and know about beer, so it kind of worked out. Um, so it did shift quite quickly, which was really nice. Um, but it was basically a year of working really hard on trying to remember who I used to be and who I wanted to be and, and kind of get myself back into a point of being healthy and stable 
So when you say like you were taken out of the whole beer thing, and was that kind of it, or were you not drinking at home? You just literally was it literally just the job that was doing it? Do you know, I was so rarely at home that drinking mm. at home was never really a thing. Um, it it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but genuinely, my working week was was pretty much every day, and it was just mad hours. Um, I think it was all being managed quite poorly, and I was in the position of. Um, just being the person that was kind of picking it all up because otherwise it felt like it was all going to fall down a bit. Because um, like, we were hosting weddings and stuff. It was bloody terrifying, like having that pressure on to deliver those days and stuff. So um, I was never really at home to drink at home. Um, so I think maybe I didn't associate my home with a place that I would drink, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mostly always at work or at another bar after work. So how long did you have to train for MDS? Like, what was the time scale between you signing up and then it so happening? I think I got my place, I think it was February 2017 for the 2018 edition. Um, oh, so about a year, kind of a yeah. year and two months, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sounds doable, a few park runs. <laughs> Trot around the block every now and again. Park run. <laughs> I've never been either. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking I should try. <laughs> But I get really nervous about running with other people. Um, cause I don't oh, cool. So why don't you go to the desert and run with loads of other people <laughs> that are really, really good at it? I think I'd, I'd been to a running club a couple of times um, that was a gym that was next to the brewery I was at. Um, and they were really great. Um, but that was like fairly low pressure, just jogging along a nice flat canal. I was like, oh, this is okay. Um, and then I purposefully didn't sign up to any other races because... I had no money and um, I didn't want to have a terrifying experience and then be even more worried. (laughs) What did you think was going to happen? Hey? What did you think was going to happen? Like, what were you visualising in your head? I don't know. It was a poor decision made. This is such a bad decision. I know, I'll sign up for a really expensive race and then ignore the fact I've signed up for a really expensive race and just turn up and do it. So, yeah, it was, yeah. Looking back, amateur decision uh, at a, a challenging stage of life. <laughs> and the reality is that the worst thing that can happen when you go to a race or you go to a park run is that you have to talk to someone really boring about that race or the park run. Like that is as bad as it gets. And that can be pretty horrific. But I think generally as do bad as you're quite skilled at um, either walking away or just convert, you know, changing the conversation. But um, so, how did you how did you train then? If you didn't have these kind of races and things to um, to use as benchmarks, um, I started. I just had some little jogs <laughs> that seemed to go all right. Um, I went. I started. I got a gym membership. That was a big step. Um, and I got a PT um, who is a complete nutter called Tammy. And actually, with her, I mostly did weight training. Um, um, yeah, like she just made me carry a lot of shit. Are we allowed to swear on this? Yes. Yeah. Fuck yeah. We say fuck you, buddy, at the end of most episodes. I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> is your mum going to listen in? This is the thing. Before it, I was like, I mustn't swear because my mum will listen. She's a very proper person, my Susan. But uh, sorry, so we've done Susan. It now. Sorry, Susan. Um, yeah, so, so did your we trainer didn't... know that you were training for the MDS, and did they kind of think of your training related to that purpose? Or it sounds, or were they just like, "I'm a trainer, do this stuff"? Um, she knew what I was training for. Um, I don't know why, but for some reason, any running, 
I didn't want her involved in it, which is really stupid, but there was something about running that I felt like it just had to be something that I was doing on my own, in my own time, and I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. I think because I didn't want anyone to tell me that I was doing it wrong or that I was slow. Um, I think, yeah, I was really, really worried about being shit at it and then having to deal with people being like, oh, you think you're going to go and do this thing? So it actually became this horrible, torturesome thing. It was just like... Was that that a bigger fear than not doing it well and actually being shit at it in the middle of the desert? Um, I think I'd never expected to do well at it. I thought I would would be okay. Um, But... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a complete amateur. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the I had quite a lot of people trying to basically telling me that I'd made a stupid decision and that I shouldn't do it and actually making me feel quite horrible about it and it was kind of like oh to be honest I could just do with you being a bit supportive. Mm. Can I just ask who these people were? Like you don't have to name names obviously, but in my eyes that's really shit that's a really Mm. shit thing for people to do I don't know I think people that I haven't spoken to in a long time that are a lot more into running than I am and I don't know if I think with some people it came from like a genuine place of concern and like Mm. Anya's made a really weird decision should we intervene Um, but I think from a couple of people I think it is human nature that people want to see you fail sometimes um I don't know, that might be like a really morbid outlook. I actually think it is, I think we spoke about this uh, when we've been on the phone, but I think it holds a mirror up to their own failings and I think it makes them think, hang on a minute, why aren't I doing something like this? And that gives them a, the first reaction to that is, you can't do it because I don't think I can do it. I really honestly believe that. Um, And I think that, you know, sometimes I meet people and I'm like, I do want you to fail because I believe you're a bad person. I believe that you a lot of the time I believe there's the, the people I don't like I'm like what you pedal is dangerous to people and you know mm. you say you can go out and do all this stuff when I know that you actually can't but people don't but people don't know what goes on kind of behind closed doors do you know what I mean so it's like for all they knew you could have been running up and down a beach with a 20 kilogram rucksack on every weekend it's a bit and like something like yeah a couple of people I kind of said to them like just because I'm not talking to you about running and I'm not posting pictures of me running all the time doesn't mean it's not happening it just means that actually it's quite a personal thing for me and and I don't have to share it if I don't want to like mm-hmm. yeah. and I think, and you think it, did a lot of them think you were having a midlife crisis given you recently lost a job as well oh probably and I bought a motorbike oh wow <laughs> <laughs> you were male in his 50s wow. did, you, did you have a boyfriend who was 13 <laughs> <laughs> and a prince oh god no it got did you join your gang you're in a biker gang <laughs> I wish no I, I bought that like at a point like maybe a few months before where I was like this is all rubbish and I've always wanted a bike and I think we should apologize to Susan again because that's never nice for a mum to have a child who's, who owns a motorbike Susan just yeah, so you know your daughter's boyfriend is not 13 years old or a prince yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no that's why I hadn't bought one for like years because I was like oh no one wants me to have one and I was like hang on you're like 27 you can do what you want so yeah I bought one and that was actually like that was great that made me really happy that was like a little little spark of joy um some some twat nicked it um so oh, no. <laughs> one of the haters I'll nicked get- it yeah god <laughs> i'll get another one so but, what, was, what um, was the longest run that you did before mds like 
I what did, was it? I did my first my first marathon distance was I think exactly a month before it, and that was. I forget that my training is, is obviously very different to a lot of other people's training so I don't actually know Hello, what the... your training is proper training like to win <laughs> you actually train yeah <laughs> yeah for, but still, still. Yeah, sorry dogs that, like well that was a like I'd done gone to the three peaks a couple of times like got out to Pennine Way and like I was doing a lot more hiking as well um and that was longer distances um but to actually like run um yeah I did it was on a treadmill as part of my fundraising um in Leeds Market I did a just a relay with another girl that was going called Sally she was the I think she was the youngest runner that year um so we did this relay all day and just clocked off um at marathon distance um but I was already yeah, that was a month before, and I wasn't feeling top um, then. <laughs> it was a bit, yeah, it all went a bit tits up, didn't it? A little bit, yeah. So um, so did you actually, at that point, did you actually believe that you could do it? Were you like, I'm going to go and do this, and I'm going to go and complete it? Like, mentally, were you kind of in the right spot? Yeah, I think there was never any doubt that I would complete it. Um, like, that sounds really arrogant arrogant I don't mean it like that but I just well there's no point in doing shit like that is there if you think you're not going to be able to do it um so there was never any doubt that I would finish like and that was always really just the goal I just wanted to finish it I wanted to challenge myself and finish it and what I really wanted from it was to leave kind of close the chapter god it's lame close the chapter and feel like I had some strength back in me um because I was so beaten down by the end of that job like yeah, I was I was terrifyingly unhappy, and I needed to know that I had some sort of strength in me to kind of take back some power. I guess um, it felt like I'd been in a really bad way for a long time, and that someone else had control over that. Like my employers had control over that. Um, so I think, in a way, kind of starting running was. I actually don't even like running really. I like what it does to my head. I don't. No like one does. Myself. No. One. Yeah. So I think the idea of running was kind of, I'm going to just sound like this. Hey, Anya, were you running away from your problems? I was running from my pain. Okay, you're running from interval pain. (laughs) It sounds really lame, doesn't it? I don't want to be a proper hippie, but I feel like starting running was a way of taking control of suffering and and knowing when I had had enough and and not when someone else Mm. had enough of watching me struggle with something I don't think that sounds lame at all I think that's why a lot of people do it and I think people especially people that run endurance races do do it to feel to feel that pain for themselves and to push through it I honestly do and I think they think if they can push through it personally on their own which is why I totally see why you would go running on your own and not blab around about it to everybody then they can handle other stuff in life and it's like a purge like it's almost like a purge like my first 100 was two weeks after I'd had a breakdown to the point where I'd had to go home and be looked after my mummy by my mummy and she was like I don't think you should do this and I was like I need to I need to do it cause I need to purge the demons and leave them out there and it worked so I think that's the absolutely fine thing to say and I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast will agree with 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 that sentiment um but yeah what kind of what how, what happened in the run-up to the race how are you feeling how, yeah. how are you feeling in yourself <laughs> uh, <laughs> well it was I suppose it was a bit confusing because I 
until I started training, I hadn't been looking after myself for a really long time. So I think I was generally used to feeling a bit naff anyway. Um, and then when I was training, like the booze kind of cut down just really naturally. And that was a much nicer thing. Um, I was probably eating a lot better and stuff. So I think I was starting to feel like a much healthier person. And gradually through that, I think I was feeling a little bit brighter in myself. Um, and then I think it was, it was around Christmas, I think my mum... I went home and mum was like, you don't seem very well. And I was like, yeah, I just seem to be picking up every bug. But I was like, it's probably because, you know, I could have been out. It was really bad weather that Christmas. It was just snow all the time. And I was like, this is not what anyone needs to train for a hot place. But So I'd been out a lot in, in cold and snow and I'd been working a lot as well because it costs a lot of money. And, um, yeah, because I was self-employed, it's that thing where you never know when you can stop working because you're like what if it all dries up overnight yeah. so I think I was maybe just um doing quite a lot so I kind of put it down to Christmas bugs winter bugs and and just feeling a bit knackered because I was doing a lot um but then it just didn't really shift um <clears throat> so that was around Christmas time and I didn't really notice it until mum pointed it out um and kind of looking back I think that was roughly when I started coughing but again, I just thought it was having a cold. Um, so it was just. And, and how do you, out of interest, I mean, I think most people know what, what's going to happen, but how does one catch TB? So you catch TB. Um, there's, there's like two types of TB. So there's latent TB and there's active TB. So latent TB apparently is carried by about a third of the world's population and it doesn't do anything but it's just hanging out in your body dormant waiting for its moment um and then if you get if you've got that kicking around in there if, if you become unwell it can it can seize its opportunity and uh start doing the thing so it can it can happen in different parts of your body um so I was visiting actually my one of my aunties on my Indian side last weekend, and she had TB in her knee in the seventies. Um, what? How can you get TB just in your wow. knee? You can get it in your bones. So she. TB knee. TB knee. TB knees. That's my a good bar. The TB. She got the TB. Um, <laughs> and she is awful. Actually, she was in hospital for like nine months, um, and she had to have her knee. They cut it open, removed all the bacteria, and then they fused it so her leg doesn't bend at all anymore. Whoa. Um, so it's, it's it's pretty crazy. But So to catch TB, you have to get it from somebody who has had pulmonary TB, so TB of the lungs. Um, and the way it works is that the bacteria kind of gathers in one spot and it multiplies. It multiplies really slowly, um, but it multiplies. And then as it does that it starts to kind of move out and form these circles and then the middle of that circle will basically just eventually turn to mulch and you'll have a cavity so there'll be a hole there mm. and all of the cavity is made made of the bacteria and it will just keep spreading out um and so then when that person is coughing that mulchy gross stuff is coming out in the air and all that bacteria is coming out in the air and if you breathe that in then you've that been kissing your auntie's knee <laughs> come here auntie divya <laughs> give me damn kneecaps um, <laughs> it doesn't work quite like that <laughs> but um yeah so i don't know where i got it um there's like parts of the world where it's more common so 
Um, I taught in China for a few months after uni and I think in that area it was quite common. So I wonder if maybe maybe I got it then, which was like years ago and it's just been waiting until I didn't have anything important to do. And, uh, <laughs> do you think potentially the fact you were training so hard and then the slight illness over Christmas, that was combining to I guess, tip your defences over the balance to therefore be attackable? Potentially. I mean, it's also something that um, can kind of come and go. So it's really sad, actually, like in parts of the world um, where treatment isn't as readily available, they'll actually have like places where they'll send people to to basically die of TB. Um, and people there will either just become very unwell and die in rare rare cases they'll they'll fight the bacteria off and, and they'll win and then in in some cases it will kind of keep coming and going and you'll fight it off mm. um so like there's a i guess a tiny chance that like previously if i've been coughing that might have been the start of it and then i've managed to crush it back down and then it's come back again like but i think i think it is probably i'm guessing it started around christmas but i'm not really sure um, so so when you then when you got to the MDS I mean did you have any inkling did you feel still that you had some kind of cough or a cold going into it I think I knew I was pretty ill I went um I went to the doctors which one's that <laughs> it's literally all of them and every time I do it I mute it I'm so sorry listeners <laughs> <laughs> love it um yeah I went to the doctors before it I can't really remember the timeline maybe a week or two before it um because this cough had gotten quite bad and I'd been coughing up phlegm and stuff it's a bit gross uh we've been coughing up some phlegm and I was like this seems to have gone on for a while uh, I don't think it was until I was diagnosed that I looked back and realized how long um mm. but I was starting to get a bit fevery as well and I went and I was like I think I have a chest infection but I have this really important thing that I've been planning for a long time and she was like, oh, it'll just be viral. She was like, I can't give you anything, but I have some paracetamol and it'll go away. Um, but she she did recommend that I don't go. I should say that. She she advised me not to go. Don't you have to get like a medical certificate to do MDS? Yeah, I'd already done that. <laughs> did you, did you, you did it at the black market, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I've made Hellard signed it. Did you sign it, <laughs> Hellard? <laughs> <laughs> All fed <of> copies. <laughs> oh, God. It was forged. No, I think I'd done that like the week before. But yeah, she she basically told me I had a cold. So I was like, I think I still had quite a few days before it even started. So I was like, well, if she's saying it's a cold, it'll be fine by then. And I was like, I was eating really well. I was trying really hard to look after myself. So I was like, this will be fine. Um, run it off. Just run it off. Whenever I'm ill, I'm just like, I'll run it off. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Um... So, yeah, I think, like, the night before we got there, my mum was going to Australia as well. It was, like, her first holiday abroad since I was born, pretty much. Um, she was going to visit a friend. So we both stayed at my brother's, and I was coughing like crazy. Um, and I started throwing up a lot. Um, and I thought that, that was because I was so nervous, because I was terrified. I was just really, really anxious. Mm. Um, I was like, this is a nerve thing. Um, so, yeah, by the, by the time we got there, it was really weird. I was cold when we arrived. I was wearing, like, my dad's old coat, everyone else in, like, shorts and T-shirts. And I was, like, in a, in a parka jacket, <laughs> freezing. Um, and did that not kind of trigger as a flag then? No. 
<laughs> no, it didn't. It's really bad, isn't it? Um, no, I can kind of see why, though, because you're so focused on what it is that you're there to do that you 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 ignore weird stuff that's going on. Like you're just like, I just got to get to the start line, make sure I got my bag packed, have I got my number, where am I going to sleep, who's in my tent? Like I imagine that's what it's like. I, like... Yeah, I think like because I'd messaged um, Steve Daedric, one of the organisers, like I think maybe a week before. I was like, Steve, I'm really not feeling so good. Like. I'm a bit worried about this and he was like just rest up look after yourself it'll be fine and I was like yeah it will be fine because I have a cold like I was just so I just had mm. that I have a cold I have a cold um so yeah I think the first day was horrifying um because I was just looking around and I was like oh my god these people are just ferociously fit <laughs> and I'm like oh like I'm like a hobbit. None uh, of them are shivering. No. None of them wearing their dad's old parka, <laughs> the North Face jacket. By the time we were actually like you know, bagged up and and ready, I think I was I was aware it was very hot by that point. But yeah, the fact like you know when you have that time in camp to just kind of get used to it. Mm. That's when I was like I was really cold. And also like when they're sort of checking bags and stuff. I was like, mustn't cough in front of any of these people in case they don't let me start. Like, I was, I was really aware at that point. Like, I, I can't let anyone know that I've gone poorly. Is that is that something that would happen? I don't know because I've never done Sandy Jog Week. Do, do they? Would they pull you out if they thought you were ill? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, they they would for a certain level, but I don't think for something like a cough or a cold. I mean, I mean, if you think that they have people who are put on drips and then they wait several hours and assess them the next day to see if they can still continue. Um, so I think you have to be near death's door or for it to be a proper risk going out there. And I think if, you know, if you're coughing away, I think you'd be all right. Yeah, I was really paranoid about it, but I got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did you? Really? <laughs> <laughs> so nearly um yeah so first day was actually really quite nice um because I'd been so scared and then we actually started and I was like oh we're just having a nice old time and everything's gonna be okay um I dropped I dropped my road book at one point and then I was like oh god you get penalty points for that and then I was really paranoid so I was like maybe I should go and get it because if I'm really slow and I get points then I'll not finish in time so then I turned around and started going the wrong way I think I was just pretty confused um looking for this book who's gonna find that me apparently <laughs> I didn't anyway and then someone in a jeep was just like no just just crack on it's fine <laughs> and they brought me another one um so the first day was actually not too bad. Um, but then it was in the nighttime, the first night, um, I was just so feverish and I was just starting to feel really um, confused and mm. like quite drunk. But I think as well, given the environment, if someone's acting like that, then it's like, oh, this person's had too much sun, like drink some more water kind of thing. So I still didn't really clock that it was anything unusual because of the environment. Mm. And it is a, it's such a change in temperature anyway, yeah. and you know you sh you are that some nights you might be shivering, some nights you might be massively dehydrated. Um, yeah, so it but also you your body sometimes from the exercise you know just can be absolutely on fire as well. Yeah, so yeah, I was just yeah I was roasting that night, um, and then it, I think the second morning was. I don't know, I woke up 
and I've just had this huge panic attack and I couldn't stop crying. Um, I couldn't eat. I just couldn't do anything. And I was just completely losing my shit. Um, and, I and think- how, how were your tent mates with you? Did you know them well and were they supportive or were they all focused on their race? This was the thing. So we'd met online, all of us, and I'd met some of them in person. They're all amazing. And, like, we still talk every week, actually. Like, we've still got a group thread, and it's great. Um, so I think that's when I started to notice that it was really bad. But I didn't know how to express that. And because of the environment, because everyone's under so much pressure, you can't be that person that's like, mm. I need help. Um so instead that translated into me just having this huge panic and I just, I couldn't do anything. I was just kind of terrified. Um, I've never really experienced a feeling like that before. And I think looking back, it's probably, my body was probably going into shock because it knew there was something quite badly wrong. Um, and maybe my head hadn't caught up with that yet. And mm. so it's this really strange kind of physical response to how I was feeling. Um, one of my tentmates, um, he's ex-military. He like just shouted at me um, until I calmed down and made me eat some breakfast and threw all my stuff in a bag and literally just picked me up and put me on my feet and was like, right, we're off. Get your shit together. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, and I really needed that. Like, I really, really needed that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and then we, we cracked on. Um, and... I was just, yeah, I was in a lot of pain in my chest, um, a lot. <laughs> I was kind of holding it all the time, um, kind of putting pressure on it with my fist to, because it seemed to alleviate it a little bit. Um, and I was really, really breathless. Um, but did they yeah. not have? Did they not have like camp doctors there? Did you not think, oh, I need to? I'll just go and see a doctor, and or were you just too scared they'd pull you out? I think. I think I was really embarrassed and I think I was actually like you don't deserve to be here and you're not fit enough um and so I didn't I think I was too embarrassed to tell anyone that I was struggling like to tell the doctors so did you think it was because of your lack of fitness partly or did what were you aware no this is actually an illness of sorts that's causing this I think I thought you've got a viral infection and you're clearly you don't deserve to be here like you're not fit enough to be here and I think I, I totally thought it was my own fault. Um, and it's like, yeah. So then in my head, I was like, I suppose it's not a very positive way to look at it, but in my head, I was like, well, you deserve to feel bad. You deserve to suffer. So you better get on with it. Like, I think I gave myself quite a hard time. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and at, at what point did it, did you really start to think, actually, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. And, actually this could be more than just mild irritation i don't think i realized properly until i got home um so oh i don't know it's it's actually quite hard to remember a lot of it as well because like at night i was so hot that i was mm. like starting to hallucinate a bit i was quite feverish so I think I just didn't really know what was happening. I was really, really confused a lot of the time. Um, I was having a good time, you know. I was meeting some really cool people. Um, I think day three was like all the mountains, and I loved that because I like, I like kind of bridge running and stuff. I mean, mm. I was barely fucking running; I was crawling. <laughs> but you know, I like, 
I like the climb and everything. I enjoy that. So I loved that. Um, but then also being near the back of the pack um, psychs you out quite a bit because you do see everyone that drops out and you see what happens to them. You see everyone on the drips. Oh, my God. You see what happens to them. This is like Handmaid's Tale. Like, what happens? <laughs> Are they put on a wall? <laughs> you kind of see everyone dropping and, and you see people getting injured. And I feel like in your head, it's like, oh, God, it's only a matter of time before it's me. So it's just like quite high pressure in my head all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I took some really good playlists. Um, that was great. <laughs> I was loving that. Um, weirdly, found myself jogging along at one point, air drumming to Frank Sinatra. Not okay, so what sure. you're saying is you were hallucinating I because just... <laughs> I'm not sure there's many drums that air drum to I Frank Sinatra songs. On TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think on the long day, I did try to quit. I tried really hard to quit. Um, it was... I'm not just saying it, but the long day was the hottest day <laughs> ever um, of that particular year, mm-hmm. not any other year. Um, and I was just not enjoying myself. I was in a lot of pain. Um, I was, yeah, just in a lot of pain. I could not catch my breath. Um, and I was just coughing up all this green shit. And so like, I'm not having fun. And then in my head, I was just like, you've, you've put yourself through something that you thought was going to give you something that you needed I thought it was going to give me that sense of strength and mm. and yeah and I was just like you're not getting that like you're not getting anything from this you're putting yourself through something horrible why bother and I got myself into this really horrible headspace um and I was with one of my tent mates um Sam who's amazing because she just talks non-stop so you're just <laughs> like I'm just gonna walk along and listen to Sam and it really really helps it's brilliant um but we stopped at a checkpoint and I was just like Do you know what Sam like I'm really hot I think a couple of people we'd seen had dropped out as well that morning. I was like, I'm too hot. I'm, I'm hating this. I don't want to do it. And she was like, come on, come on. We'll, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. And I was trying to adjust my bag strap. I couldn't do it. And she was helping me. And then it snapped. Oh, and, shit. And I was like, I lost my shit. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing it. Like, that's a sign. I'm not going to do it. And she was like, no, because then it's my fault. Like, I broke the bag. <laughs> I was like, fine, Sam, like, let's carry on. <laughs> and we went on a bit, and then we saw Steve Daedric again. And he was like, how are we, girls? And I was just like, no, I was like, I'm done. Take me out. Like, I want to go. And then he pulled me to one side and gave me, like, the most amazing pep talk that I think anyone has ever given. Um, what did he say? <laughs> the trouble is I can't remember it properly. <laughs> <laughs> it was along the lines of, like, this is the difference between can't and won't. And he was like, he was telling me about um, Duncan, who was the first um, double amputee. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, he was like, do you know who Duncan is? Do you know what Duncan did? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, if Duncan can do that, I think you can do this with a bit of a cough. Don't you? That is so unfair. That is so (laughs) like comparing you to a double amputee. And you're like, "Uh, I've just got a cough. Yeah. If someone would have said that to me, I would have been like, sorry Susan fuck you and I would have gone with it (laughs) (laughs) but he was really cool about it but he was like he was getting me all inspired and pepped up um and I was like oh that's a really good point yeah like I guess (laughs) and he was like yeah this is the difference between can't and won't and he was like at the moment you could do this but you're deciding not to and he was like if I if I take you out of this now 
you'll feel great for an hour and then you'll hate yourself for it. And I was like, Can I ask, have you spoken to him since? <laughs> yeah. What was actually wrong with you? <laughs> I have, and he was like, oh, soz. <laughs> <laughs> um but no i'm really really glad that that he yeah convinced me to yeah stop whining and get over there um yeah so carried on um i spent most of the long day with um the most amazing women um francis and nikki and they have rode the atlantic um i think they're like the only with two of the women who they met on the school run and they were all like (laughs) <laughs> oh, it has to be more to life than this let's start rowing and then the next year i think they're like rowing the atlantic they're unbelievable um so i spent me- most of the yeah the rest of the race with them really um and they were just so much fun and we were we were having a really good laugh the whole time um also weirdly couldn't stop peeing like all the time is that yeah. part of it or is that just a aside for the listener i was like i was peeing like 30 times a day wow that is quite weird i was like this can't be normal what's this that was odd that was probably an overshare but there you go Um, (laughs) sorry susan (laughs) susan knows all about it (laughs) um susan has similar issues Tenor lady season tenor lady. Oh my god, you're making this worse. <laughs> As usual. Oh, um. <laughs> god. Um, so what happened? So you made it to basically the long of the short of it is you made it to the end, right? Yeah, we got to the end. I think the last day I actually asked the girls about it the other day because I was like, I can't really remember um a lot of things. So I just asked them to run me through their recollection of T V. Um I think it was the last day like I started there was blood coming out not oh. loads but some enough to be not cool but it was okay, any thing. any blood coming out when you cough is enough to not be cool yeah. no definitely but also you've done all that um and it's the last day um but um francis reminded me like, i think it was maybe even the last checkpoint on the final day um i was coughing loads um and then this doctor started driving after us and she was like, stop, I need to, I need to examine you. And I was like, no, nope, no, nope, everything's fine. Like I've got about 10 K to go. Leave me alone. <laughs> wow. Being pulled um, then. We kind of just ran away from that. But actually on the, at the end of the long day, I did go to the doctors because, um, well, I was really confused. I was, I remember feeling super drunk. I, I was saying to my temp mate, um, like I was talking to her and I was saying I can hear words coming out of my mouth but I have no recollection of deciding to say them and I feel really drunk and she was like it must be the heat you need to cool down she's like why don't you go to the to the doctor's tent so I went to Dr. Chatter and everyone was like sat outside with their feet like cleaning their feet and queuing and I was just like grabbing people like I feel really weird do you feel really weird <laughs> they were all just like yeah you've had too much sun it's like cool okay yeah and then I fell asleep while um while this guy was um patching up some blisters for me I woke up choking and he was like oh you're sick he was like let me listen to you and he like listened to my chest and he was like yeah he was like something's going on here and he was like do you do you want to stop Uh, and I was like well no because we've got one day to go now um, so he gave me an inhaler and some antibiotics, um, 
which I probably shouldn't say, um, but he didn't like put that on my card or anything. Um, it was, I think it was a bit of a sneaky favor um, mm. because I think, um, yeah, I think at that point, if he'd have started consulting other people, I think they probably would have said to call it a day. Mm. Um, so we like him a lot. He's good. Um, yeah, the worst bit, to be honest, was the fucking charity stage at the end. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's the worst thing ever, isn't it? Oh, man. I Do was... you know about that, Ali? I've got no idea what you're talking about. You finish the NVS, <clears throat> but then technically you have to do a half marathon fun stage which isn't timed that you all have to do but you still don't get any extra rations until the end of that day so you've finished and uh, you know your positions but you can't have you, you've still got to live off these tiny rations your race rations essentially and so everyone's just there miserable having to walk do you, do you, do you not get your medal before Nope. You do now. They didn't oh, used to. Oh, right. That's because I would be like, nope, got my medal. That's what I, and yeah, that's what I would <laughs> yeah. have been like, literally eating you know, pins to make myself more sick. But the <laughs> thing is, do it. you have to do it to get to the bus. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you cannot return until you drag your sorry self this last bit. Wow. And um, it's kind of the convention that you do it as a tent as well, which means everyone's walking because everyone's got someone in their tent who's absolutely crippled and yeah and it's not i guess it's not like a nice walk across like devon it's like (laughs) boiling fucking hot right so you want to get out of it as soon as possible i hated every second of it it was (laughs) i was with my teammate um emma who also got really ill a few weeks after i think our tent might be cursed i think pete had like a stress stress fracture in his shin like halfway through and she Emma got sepsis a while later. Someone Bloody else, hell! Yeah, um, yeah. Nathan's broken his ankle. Like everyone's, we're all dropping like flies. <laughs> you stolen the seat of a witch or something on the plane now? Yeah, I think we should. I think we should wrap this podcast up now because I don't really want to talk to Frank anymore. <laughs> quite frank. Oh, friends. Um, yeah, um, yeah. So we just had to. Yeah, we had to see that to get back to the hotel. I didn't. Um, I didn't struggle for rations because I was barely eating uh, the whole week. Um, so I think the minimum you have to carry is like 2,000 calories mm. um, per day, which is all I carried because I knew I didn't need more than that. Um, but I was feeling so sick and frightened that I think I threw away like five four, five of my evening meals at the end of it. Like, I think I was... What? You should have used those as currency. I would have been swapping those for loads of stuff. I know. I don't think anyone wanted them. I was basically just eating jelly babies <laughs> and, um, and shakes. So I think I was probably managing about seven, maybe 800 calories a day. Um, but I couldn't get food in and I couldn't keep food in. I just felt mm. so sick. Um, but I think luckily, working in hospitality, I feel like that kind of prepared me for that because you never eat when you work in hospitality. Mm. You're just on your feet all the time. So I feel like actually my body's probably quite used to not fueling properly. You're rat adapted. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot there's a lot to be said for the early disco diet and I think Hellard will um <laughs> attain to this of your youth, of the lack of sleep, hardly any calories, hardly any water, and ke- just keep going for thirty eight hours. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you do take on other things. You do. Days, but I uh, probably can't get those in the desert. <laughs> but now we've replaced those with caffeine bullets. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, caffeine bullets are <laughs> new legal high. <laughs> um, so what happened when you got back, Anya? Like, like, was it a case of straight off 
you got back and you were like, I'm, I think I'm dying? Or did you just sort of try and carry on as usual? Um, I got back and I stayed at my brother's in London for a couple of days and I went to meet one of my freelance clients, Club Soda, who we've spoken about. Um, I went to meet them just for a bit of a catch-up and then to come home. Um, my boyfriend came and met me as well in London. Um I think it was confusing again because it was like, oh, well, I've just done this really long thing, so I'm probably going to feel a bit crap. Mm. I still feel really crap. Um, and it wasn't hot when, we, when I was got back to the UK, but I was still, like, I cannot explain to you the night sweats I was having. Like, um, I started sleeping in between towels, and then Sean would wake me up in the night to roll me over and put a fresh towel out. Wow. Like, it, I was drenched every night. Um so, but I was really, yeah, talking about it, I feel like I'm the most irresponsible person I've ever met. Um, well, Bowman, if you've seen a doctor and he's he's given you a few pills but sent you on your happy way, then yeah, that is almost that, clearance, isn't it? Yeah, I kind of thought that was going to kick it. And then I thought, you know, mm. when I get home and just chill out a bit, it'll be fine. Um, and then... Yeah, I was just coughing so much. And then it, a couple of days later, I went back to work um, and I was so out of it. I couldn't remember what my job was. There was nobody else in. And I rang my manager like, what do I do? Because I worked part time at another brewery in sales. I rang him like, what do I do? Like, what do you need me to do? And he was like, call people and sell them the stuff. I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> so I was really out of it. Um, and it just got to a point after a couple of days, I just I couldn't even stand up. I couldn't get out of bed. Um, so Sean rang the doctor and was like, my girlfriend's really sick and I think that she needs to come and see someone. And they were like, oh, you know, we've got an appointment in two weeks. So then he was like, she's just been to Morocco. And they were like, oh, <laughs> give her an appointment. So yeah, if you ever need a doctor's appointment, just throw in some sort of travel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just back from Sierra Leone. Fabulous <laughs> outside, Blue Lights Hospital, brilliant. So they, yeah, they got me in straight away. Um, and and he had to listen to my chest and he was like, oh, well, it doesn't sound very nice. Like, here's some antibiotics. And he was like, we'll send you for a chest x-ray just in case because it's been a couple of weeks, hasn't it? And I was like, great, yeah. And I went for that. <laughs> my friend Keith came and picked me up and we went bird watching. <laughs> Are you sure something... that happened? Are you sure? <laughs> it definitely happened. And Did then we were driving back. <laughs> sorry Susan <laughs> yeah we were driving back and then some guy rang me and was like oh we've had a look at your x-ray well we think that you might have tuberculosis but we're not sure so carry on as normal for now um, what <laughs> okay and he was like carry on for, for normal as now like we'll need to do some samples of like your spit and uh, and we'll we'll wait for those to culture and see what happens. But you know, for now, if you're feeling feeling well enough to do so, carry on. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll carry on then. <laughs> um, and then I did these like spit samples. And then this the doctor that had first told me I had a cold rang me up, and she was like, so you need to go to chest clinic for this TB. And I was like, hang on, like, so you're saying that I, that I do have TB? And she was like, oh, did no one confirm? I was like, nope. Like, that doctor should definitely not have a phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I went to chest clinic, and then they were like, yeah, this isn't this isn't ideal. Um, and so they started me on treatment, um, which is basically just the most brutal antibiotics for like six months normally. Um, which do a lot of nasty things to you. 
Um, and they were like, oh, here's a number for a nurse. Like, the nurse will come and visit you at home. You have to take these drugs every day. People will visit you, will ring you every day. I was like, oh, this seems a little over the top. Like, what's going on? And then I think within about 10 days, um, they, they did say it would get a bit worse before it gets better um but it got so bad um I just couldn't breathe and and I just felt so much more ill than I'd already felt um so we rang the nurse and and they got me into it was on a Friday um I'm glad we rang because otherwise it would have been a weekend at home I don't know what would happen but um yeah they got me into the infectious diseases clinic um and put me in this uh, in this isolation room um, and it just turned out that the drugs um, can they can impact your liver, and sometimes your liver can't process it, um, and that's what was happening. So my liver was just slowing down and losing function. Um, but they had to keep me in this isolation room because I was so contagious. So it was a case of trying to sort my liver out while still having to be quite aggressive with the TB because um, they did some scans then. And that's when they realized there were actually like, cavities in my left lung, like holes. Um, and that's why it had been so painful. Um, so, yeah, I just stayed in that room for like 10 days going bonk. <laughs> oh, my God. So basically, was the liver an effect of the TB? Yeah, no, no. So the liver was purely because of the, the treatment for the TB. Right, so the antibiotics were so hardcore that they were going basically eating your liver. The, it just couldn't cope with it. Um, I'm not sure what the sort of statistics are. I think it's like it's not super common, but it's not super rare that that would happen. Mm. Um, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't ideal. And I think um, because I didn't know when I, when they were going to let me go home. Um, well, I think I was posting in the group quite a lot of the time because I was going mad. Um, because every day I was like, right, today's going to be the day I'll go home. And then it was like, nope. And also because you're on your own, everyone forgets about you. So it turned out all the other patients were getting biscuits. And <laughs> oh, no one else was coming in with biscuits <laughs> in my room. How did you find out? Um, well, they let me out into the ward on the last day to share a room with a terrifying woman. Um, and she was like, the biscuit tray is coming and I was like what's this biscuit tray you're on about basically no one was bringing me them because they couldn't be bothered to put on the masks that they had to wear to come into my room so it was like a ghostbuster outfit it was like this little mask with a fan belt that like blows fresh air into their faces so they don't have to breathe my disease (laughs) I'm sorry that's no excuse not to get biscuits biscuits are thin you can slide them under the door I know it was really like looking back there were a lot of funny things about the time like one minute I'd be like just a bit manic and I don't know watching something shit on Netflix and the next minute I'd be like crying at a piece of toast (laughs) and I think because I'd just come back from MDS and I'd had such high expectations of what that experience was going to be and to be honest I hated it absolutely hated it because I just felt awful and I know that I have some really good memories now and I made some really great friends through it but it was it wasn't the positive outcome that I'd I'd asked of it like I wanted it to to give me this good thing and I didn't get that and then I was just on my own in this room and there was no one to you know I wanted to go for a pint with my mates and be like 
I did the thing and, and now we can move on. Um, yeah. And do you, do you still feel that way about MDS? Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's a bit of a weird one because in my head, I think when I was in the hospital, I still had loads of, I did still have this kind of feeling of like, wow, anything's possible. Um, and oh, this will be sorted soon and I'll, I'll start running again and then I'll do something else and it'll just build from there and, and who knows where I'll end up. And I was feeling actually quite full of potential. And then that, that went really quickly and became just like, oh my God, I'll never, <laughs> I'll never exercise again. Was that, I'll never exercise again because I'm so ill or I'll never exercise again because I don't ever want to run again because it's given me TB. Was that like the, the weird bit of your brain saying that it was the, the MDS's fault? No, it was definitely, um, I think I really underestimated what the treatment would be like. Um, and actually it had like a lot of nasty side effects that I think they kind of tell you it's going to be hard, but I think they don't tell you how bad because they, they want you to try and be chipper. Um, mm. so they kind of deal with it as and when it comes along. Um, um so maybe different for everyone as well. Yeah, completely. Um, so I, I actually joined a, a forum on Facebook for, people with TB and it's been the most amazing thing because like they're the only people that I can talk to well actually that's a lie we'll get onto that they're the only people I could talk to that um that get it um but yeah so yeah it went really quickly from being like there's there's so much out there that I could go and do to like oh when will I ever be able to run again um yeah so what, what if you're on these pills for six months does, does that mean for six months you were uh essentially incapable of a lot of your daily usual activities so um well about four months into it they extended it to a year because the um the cavities were taking time to heal and the bacteria was still um culturing mm. uh, it can take quite a long time to to get it all so they extended it to a year um and I get when I got out of hospital I think because I'd been in bed for it was like 11 days in total and like I could you know I could get up and walk to the bathroom or whatever but um I think my body just kind of packed in a bit so like my legs just disappeared um mm. my body in general I think I dropped in total from I weighed myself just before MDS and then within a couple of weeks of being home I think I dropped two stone um wow. I just couldn't eat on the the medication. Like it just makes you feel sick all the time at first. Like, <laughs> you, have you ever been like, have you ever had one of those hangovers where you throw up so hard that it feels like <laughs> you should lift your body off the ground? <laughs> That's the kind of sick that this ta- these tablets make you do. Is gross. Uh, so I just didn't really want to eat anyway. So it took actually really a long time to be able to do stuff. I didn't go back to work for a long time I start I started doing some of my freelancing from home but it, you get really fatigued as well so just normal life doesn't really happen um mm. and also socially um if it was quarantined for quite a while anyway like at home couldn't spend time with people Sean was allowed to be here because he'd already been exposed to me and I'd given him latent TB and he was on medication as well oh, wow yeah the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> um so but he was obviously working a lot because I couldn't work and I stupidly hadn't insured myself as a freelancer either. Um, so like money was stressful. Um, and yeah, just normal day to day stuff just wasn't happening. And I remember like at first for the first maybe 
two, three weeks walking. Like, I couldn't walk 100 metres without having to sit down several times for a rest. Like, it would take me about 25 minutes to walk 100 metres, mm. um, which is just stupid. That's Lee um, Stewart Evans' pace. That is actually Lee Stewart Evans' pace. <laughs> <laughs> so, But it's crazy that you lose it that quickly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I realised at the time and now when I look back, I keep saying that, looking back. Um, but, yeah, looking back um, at pictures and stuff, I looked like a completely different person. And it was really annoying because I had reached the fittest I'd ever been. I was feeling more stable than I'd felt in a really long time. Um, I'd I'd done the thing that I told myself I would do. Um, I'd raised a lot of money for charity as well. And so I was just super pissed off that after all that effort, when I'd tried really, really hard to better myself, um, yeah, I was just completely knocked down by this thing. And, and then I was just really isolated again because I couldn't see people. And then even when I could, when I was signed off as not being contagious, I think people still stayed away a bit because it's terrifying. Mm. Um, and they don't want to be, they don't want to consider, you know, the, the possibility of, of getting it. Um, and also when you can't go out and sort of, because I'm still tired all the time. When you can't go out and keep up with people socially, eventually people stop asking you to do things or, or people, yeah, they kind of stop bothering. Like, obviously, there's always those great friends that are there for it. Um, but, yeah, I'd say since then, my my social circle has, that came out really weirdly, my social circle has really narrowed. Um, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but yeah, it, changed, it did change everything. So how how are you now? Like, have you... Like what? What sort of stage are you at now? Is is it something that's always going to affect your health? Have you decided that you're going to start running again? Like, like what's what stage in recovery are you at? Um, so I finished treatment in March. Um, it's had quite a big impact on my joints, um, which is quite common. Um, so I actually also gave my mum TB. And oh my gosh, you just no. really... <laughs> yeah. everybody that you love. Probably yeah. sorry, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> But in Susan's Susan's TB actually developed into active TB, um, and working it out, I think that actually she got that from me the day we spent together before she flew to Australia. So we were only together for like a few hours. Um, um, luckily, because um, of the stage that it got to, they were like, right, you were obviously quite contagious. So they tested everyone around me. Um, a few of my tentmates had latent TB. Um, whoops! But also, I did spend a lot of time with those ones before the race, so it could have been then. Um, they had the treatment, and I think so. It's like three month treatment on a lower dose for latent TB, um, and they all seem to have been okay with it. Like, not had any side effects and stuff. My mum has had a really hard time. Um, they caught hers quite early, so she didn't have any lung damage. Like, it was very early stages. I don't think they wouldn't have caught that if they hadn't have been testing her because mm. of me. Mm. Um, so we're really lucky with that. But my mum's had an awful time. Like um, she already had osteoarthritis, and it's um, it's really had a big impact on her joints. And I think she's actually going to be having a hip replacement soon, um, which I think probably would have always happened, but has definitely um, been brought forward because of mm. the medication. I think. Um, 
So yeah, at the moment for me, I'm having some issues with my joints. So I've, I go to a rheumatologist now because I'm 90. Um, <laughs> and I do still get chest pain a lot. Um, so I'm still um, going to the doctors about that. Um, I think you can kind of develop asthma after having like a, a illness in the lungs. Um, so we're kind of working on that. Um, I think I didn't really push for anything for a while I think David I was talking to you about it the other week like mm. didn't push for anything for a while because I kind of thought that that was just how it was going to be um and then you were like no nah, you should probably <laughs> probably push for something to be done so I've gone back and and they are going to do some stuff which is great um I think one thing that I'm kind of working on is that actually mentally um I'm scared shitless of dying <laughs> um and I get really really paranoid about something being wrong that I'm just not aware of um so I'm trying harder to pay attention to my body and how I feel and to kind of talk myself through things to not let myself get worked up about things um I went and did Ilkley half marathon the other week just plodded along um but I actually at the start of it just stood there bawling my eyes out on my own because um it just instantly took me back to that feeling of well, day it's a trigger. Two. It's a trigger, yeah. isn't it? Like, mm. you know, you put your running kit on and you're going to remember, like, that you did something that most people can't do, full stop. Most people can't run the MDS. They, they, they just can't do it. They can't even fathom that distance. But you did it. And uh, not only did you finish it, but you finished it when you were seriously ill. And that's mental and amazing, but also absolutely terrifying so I think anything like that is going to trigger you but you know sometimes the best way to to sort that out is to kind of push through it and keep pushing through it until it doesn't affect you anymore yeah yeah I think it is just a bit of a like a little sort of flashback type thing because I think it could have gone really differently like if if MDS had been a Mm. week later and I'd have been there it would have been even worse so it's Mm. just and there was one point in the long stage when I was on my own for a bit and it was really hot and I couldn't see anyone at all. I couldn't see support crew or anything. And um, I was thinking, like, how far have you got left to go? When did you last drink water? You haven't. I was really aware that I wasn't taking in enough calories. Um, mm. And while I kind of knew I could function on that, in my head I was also like, this is this is like nothing you've ever done before. And... And if that's not going in, then how are you moving forwards? And I got myself into this really horrible headspace where I just had this short period of time where I thought you're going to collapse and no one's going to be there to see it. Um, And no one's going to be able to help you with it because there's nobody here. Um, So yeah, I think it is just, um, there's kind of just a little fear there that I know that it could have been a really different outcome and, and that I'm really fortunate um that, and, yeah. and do you do you are you someone who ha- who often has to battle your kind of your thoughts and the, the pessimistic views would you say um i think i tend to put myself down a lot um which i struggle with i think i give myself quite a hard time for things um mm. so i think for quite a long time i was like oh you totally deserved that because you didn't enough attention to your body but at the same time like I think now with time I'm like well if a doctor tells you you've got a cold 
why would you think any anything more of it kind of thing so yeah I think I do I do I do quite a lot of negative self-talk which I need to work on <laughs> and with with the Oakley half then I mean you you finished it which a half marathon is a long way from from where you've come um I mean how was it um I think I, I actually really enjoyed it um it was very painful um and like for about a week afterwards I was coughing a lot again mm. um and and a bit of blood because I was coughing with such force that that's just something that can happen um I did get really out of breath and um yeah but the thing is now I guess I'm trying to find the positive stuff to focus on because it's been really hard to not be able to exercise and I have now like piled on weight I'm heavier than I've ever been um and that's been horrible but now, when I was doing that, like the first couple of miles, I was like, this isn't very pleasant. And then once we actually kind of got out of the town and into the hills a bit, um, I mean, it was all on roads, but like there were some beautiful views. And, and I just had this moment where I was playing some music and I was like, oh my God, like you're doing it. You're running, you're moving your legs. And how lucky, how lucky you are. Like it felt really, really great. Um, so yeah, it was painful, but um, actually had some quite euphoric moments which was really really nice um so yeah I feel like actually that kind of that's broken the cycle because I've been trying to go to the gym I think the, the most I'd done since MDS was I think I've done a couple of like 4k's on the treadmill um and I've done walking um but actually running maximum has been like 4k and that's been really painful and I've sacked it off every time because I've just thought oh, this isn't fun I'm not enjoying it it hurts mm. I'm probably damaging myself so I'm not going to do it um but then I've done the half and now I'm like, oh, okay, that felt really good. So I think maybe I need to take it away from the gym and the treadmill and, and get myself out, um, count towards like three peaks and stuff and, and get back out there. And maybe a few more races where you've got that structure and that, you know, actually you've having that pressure might be a good thing. I think so. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah, if, yeah, if I get 4K into that and then say, oh, actually, I don't think I want to do this, then I'll feel worse about that, so I'll keep going. So, yeah, I think I do really need that pressure. Uh, but I think I've always needed that. That's why I signed up to MDS, because I knew that if I'd have signed up to a marathon then, I wouldn't have trained at all. I know I wouldn't, because mm. it's yeah. not enough. It's not, it wouldn't have been challenging enough, because I know that in my head I could have got myself mm. through that. I, mean, I wouldn't have done well and it wouldn't have felt good, but I know that my head could have done that. So the whole point of, of MDS was the pressure of it having to be something so much harder. Um, so, yeah, I think race pressure is definitely something that I actually need and that actually can make me feel really good. So yeah, now, that you've done, now that you've done the MDS with TB, does that mean you're going to do South Pole with AIDS or something? Or I mean, you're, I'm not, you've really got to up it to try and gather extra pressure, pressure really. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I uh, to never be ill again <laughs> ever um, sorry Anna, I, cut, I cut you off it probably was going to be very sensible and, uh, and yeah it was and actually Hellard. No, it wasn't South Pole with AIDS Jesus <laughs> sorry Susan sorry um, Susan. I was just going to say the whole beating yourself up thing like I do that too uh, and I am I say things to myself that I would never ever say to anybody else and so you know could you ever imagine saying to your mum well you deserve to have TB you deserve to have my TB no you wouldn't say that right so why the hell are you saying it yourself like that's a completely insane thing to say and I find that quite 
a helpful thing when I'm having a little bit of a I've got a baseball bat and I'm going to thrash it round my head or smack my head against a wall I would never smack anyone else's head against a wall or hit them with a baseball bat so just don't do that yourself I think you know take it slow and steady and the whole thing about uh, you feel like you've put on weight fuck that you're alive man like you know (laughs) those things can be managed later on down the line um but you can't beat yourself up about the the progress that you're making because most people a lot of people don't get off the sofa to ever do a half marathon doesn't matter if you walk it it's like you did it while you were recovering from an illness that kills people so I think everyone should just take a little bit from that and be like be kind to yourself because things you know think about where you were five years ago or six years ago when you were really really miserable and everything was shit to where you are now where you've learned a lot of stuff you've had things happen to you that weren't your fault and you've got through it and you can harness that and use it for good so don't be mean to yourself that goes for you too, do badders and you susan <laughs> <laughs> oh do you want to be my life coach yeah sure why not <laughs> um yeah i guess the other thing that we were going to talk about was drinking but i don't know if it's getting too late for you guys or not well i'll just quickly because i'll probably talk to her a lot about this in the outro because um yeah but we'll just mention it and one of the reasons that actually i've learned this I'm, i've been trying to learn this don't say things to yourself that you wouldn't say to anyone else is because i recently this is very weird do badders but recently I, I i rang anya because i know that she's part of this uh group called club soda who are all about mindful drinking and i have worked in the entertainment industry for a long time like 25 years and my entire life has revolved around booze and i bloody love booze it's delicious nutritious and it helps me forget how much i actually hate myself um and i was and since i came back from uh from London since I've moved to Shepton my booze intake's kind of gone down but it hadn't gone down to the point where I was like I've stopped or I, or I have five days off a week or whatever so I spoke to Anya about this and I was just really interested in what she had to say because I feel like I'm not on my own here and I feel like there's a lot of people in the group that could benefit from um, hearing about what it is that Anya does with Club Soda because it's not kind of a preachy everybody give up drinking and and go to AA type thing but since having a chat with her and this is nothing short of a miracle I have not had a drink for 10 days and I am planning on not having drinks tomorrow either and maybe not the next day either depending on how I feel um but uh yeah I just wanted you to kind of explain what it is you do and maybe point people in the right direction if they're interested in thinking about booze intake or not thinking about it which is fine as well I just think we we're, we're our group is a culture of we have a culture of boozing a culture of yeah we love a drink yeah we love to run beer's amazing let's get trashed but I think for a lot of people that's bravado and maybe not quite the way that it is in real life yeah I mean I find it quite a conflicting thing anyway because I've worked in booze for ages um but yeah like I wasn't happy with how I was drinking before MDS and that was part of what I wanted to change and then while I've been ill, um, I mean, obviously my liver tried to pack in, so drinking is probably not a great idea. Um, they did say that I could drink on treatment, um, but they said, you know, go really steady on it. Um, and my intake just dropped so much. Um, and it also became really easy to say no. I think mm. um, one of the big things with drink, I feel like we do it for everything. It's like good day, have a drink, bad day, have a drink, wedding drink brunch drink it's like it's just everywhere um and I feel like maybe we don't always 
think about whether or not we actually want to and what we're getting from it and and what impact it's going to have on the day so like I was noticing that you know if I have a pint in the afternoon then I would probably want to have some more pints in the afternoon and then that means when I go home I'm not going to cook I'm not going to do the work that I plan to do and like it just derails my plans Uh, I'm definitely not going to go for a run um so it's something that I became way more aware of and I started working with um, club soda after I left that shit job um, and club soda Laura who founded it um, several years ago now um, she basically founded it because she decided that she was a dickhead when she drank and she didn't want to do it anymore and there didn't seem to be any way of of stopping drinking without having to say I'm an alcoholic um, which I think is like something that not everyone identifies with um, and actually we have this really weird thing in society where you're either someone who can drink or you're someone who can't drink and, and there's all that grey area in the middle of, it's way more complicated than that um, so it's something that I've worked a lot to change um, since leaving that job and I feel like at the moment I'm hitting this really interesting bit where I might actually leave the beer industry and just give it up altogether um, but yeah I think with running we do tend to have that kind of culture of like you're you have your running club and you go for a run and you drink a pint i mean like mckella running club i think are you guys talking to them soon yeah a few weeks time i think yeah they're those guys are awesome um but yeah there is like this real culture of like have a run get drunk and like ali's saying like i think it is a lot of bravado sometimes um so kind of what i'm really interested in is how we make how we kind of make it more comfortable for people to say that they're not drinking and actually like loads of the do brothers don't drink I asked they, they don't but one of the things that I've um, found interesting in the last couple of well, in the last week because I've been like I haven't really told anybody that I'm not doing it because I'm almost embarrassed to not do it because on my whole USP is hey man I'm a normal person who drinks beer <laughs> and sometimes I smoke fags and then I go and run and yeah look at me I'm cool <laughs> and I'm like shit if I don't drink beer are people going to think that I'm taking this seriously which I'm not um, but uh but it's it's mainly just for me, and we had a I had we had a really interesting email exchange, and this is re- this is this is funny but also awful. And Anya said to me, if you tell someone who's a smoker, if if, if you're if you're a smoker, and someone comes up to you and says, I've given up smoking, you're like, oh my god, that's amazing, well done. All smokers want to give up smoking, and all smokers think people giving up smoking is amazing. If you go if you tell someone who's a drinker that you've given up drinking, they usually either try and make you have a drink or are like abhorrent with like why would you do that like you know I've not got a problem why have you got a problem and it's like well no and it's the whole holding a mirror up isn't it to people asking the same question about themselves and so because I started doing this and I was thinking about how big the group is and I was thinking about all the stuff that we promote when it comes to beer and drinking and brew dogs and all that sort of stuff I just wanted to put it out there on the podcast that um, I'm doing this interesting thing where just I just don't drink today and then maybe I won't tomorrow and really addressing what my relationship with alcohol is if it is a relationship and I think that maybe some other people might be interested in doing that too um, they might not and that's fine as well it's just there's such a huge interesting dynamic the beer industry and how it's promoted and why we do it and you know, I think maybe I'll come to some conclusions that I don't particularly like about myself, but it's something to think about, right? Especially when we go on about beer so much in this group. We do. And I, lo- like, I love the chat in the group and it's always really funny and I don't think anyone ever means any 
anything harmful by it. So I'm actually really enjoying at the moment kind of exploring my entire relationship with alcohol. Um, it's quite scary because it's a huge part of my identity. Um, I feel like actually I probably started drinking beer as like a little act of feminism. I feel like all the guys are drinking beer and it's not what girls do. So I was like, well, I'm going to do that because I can. And then I got super into beer. And now mm-hmm. I'm at a point where my entire career is is centered around that and I know a lot about it. I know more about beer than I do about anything else. Um, but actually when I look at it, I'm not sure how happy it makes me. But yeah, still, so the beer of on 10th of August. Everybody <laughs> get your tickets now. Do you know what? I really would love to do that. But I think I would definitely be sick. <laughs> oh, okay, definitely. But anyway. you, you'd be allowed to. You'd be allowed to be. It's in the rules. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then I, th- I think there is also because I, you know, I'm still very pro here. Um, but I, there, there certainly is a happy medium where <laughs> you, you, I guess the difference between smoking and, and drinking is that you generally can't smoke and be healthy. Whereas I think you can have a, a healthy relationship with alcohol. It's just that quite often it's easy not to. Um, and yeah. maybe this is just as much about reassessing what it's doing in your life and, and finding that healthy balance rather than just drinking heavily repeatedly because it's what you do yeah, yeah. what think... we're saying is that richard mcdowell is right richard you were right you've always been right <laughs> not taking that drink <laughs> with the craft half you've been wronged that, that that's basically what we're saying right <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, well, thank you so much, Annie. Good that you're, good you're still alive. Um, it's always positive. <laughs> and um, well, I, I just want to make, I, I really want to hear from you in a year's time when hopefully you've run loads more and you've, you know, found your feet again and everything's rosy. I'm going to get her out on a rat race test, test pilot expedition that she doesn't know about yet. She's going to have a really oh, good time. Oh my god, I would love to do that. Yeah, of course you would. <laughs> we'll chat. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, Anya. Um, and if anyone's interested in this whole m- mindful drinkingness, the Facebook group is called Club Soda. They're very, very handy and uh, interesting to read. And if people want to get in touch and follow you and social media, all of that, Anya, any particular handles you'd want to send people to? Um, I suppose the only thing I really use is Instagram, but it's probably not very running related. But uh, my handle on that's aneurysm, uh, which is... <laughs> A-N-J-A-I-S-M. So no one ever gets it because of the J in my name and then I have to say it to them and then they understand it. But yeah, or I'm Anya Madwani on Facebook. So they just think it's Anya Jism. Anya Jism, that's what they think it is. It's not. <laughs> and would you like to repeat how you pronounce Anya's second name before we start this interview? Anya Jism Madfanny. Brilliant. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. Sorry, Susan. Sorry, sorry Susan. hashtag sorry, Susan. <laughs> it's not Susan's second name anyway, don't worry. <laughs> Ironically, some would say. <laughs> sorry, Susan. <laughs> anyway, anyway, thanks, Anya. We will um, we'll hopefully see you soon. We love you. Bye. Bye. Oh, there you go, Duvanners. What do you think of that? really wanted to talk to someone actually as an outro um on this just because i think it it throws up quite a few interesting um questions that we face ourselves as ultra runners um but show must go on we're putting an episode out for you and you're actually i think i can say this yes i can say this. so Anya was a little bit nervous afterwards that she she appeared foolish essentially for going on 
you know, in the face of what she thought was this evidence that something was seriously wrong. But I, th- I think that's the issue with, with being an ultra runner and also taking on these huge challenges because not only do we have this immense amount of pressure that we've been training for, for months, sometimes, you know, up to a year, maybe even longer for races that we've paid a huge amount of money for, but also built up the pressure of talking to our friends, telling our friends. And so to not finish something then is, is, is very hard to do. It's very hard to, to be sensible, I guess, rather than risking it a little bit. But I I think also we do physically change so much during the course of our training and a lot of us are, are doing these ultra races or these even even doing a marathon for some people because we want to experience being outside of our comfort zone and a lot of the time that that's not just feeling weak and feeling tired but our body does do strange things and we react in in ways that we wouldn't expect um for example my my temp mate at the marathon subs was he was pooing green i've no idea why he's no idea why and um you wouldn't expect that he he had a drip he carried on he was fine but unless you've done something before unless you are medically trained it's very hard to actually know what is something that you can just grin and bear and what is something that could potentially be life-threatening or or permanently damaging and i think you know well firstly for anya absolute fair play for finishing and getting through it makes us all look a little bit shameful for our performances but also when you've got a doctor telling you it's probably just a cough and the warning signs aren't so obvious that it has to be only there's only one answer I think we're so desperate to finish and we're especially the nearer we get to the end that it's very hard to say no and and I don't know what the answer is I don't know how I don't know how we protect ourselves against our own ambitions and our against our own pig-headedness because the fact that we have those two is what makes us ultra runners and that's what essentially endangers us and and I don't think it's just about being ill when we race it's also about some of the challenges we take on and you do hear of people having issues in things like sky races or going out into you know we we spoke with holly about people on everest and while i don't think the ultra runner communities is anywhere near as foolish or, or dangerous as some of the people who take on everest with with no experience i do think part of our sport is to try something new and to take on a challenge unprepared and how do we assess the danger how do we make proper judgment decisions when we're wanting to go into something foolish essentially um so what do you think do badders um you know uh, have you put yourself in perilous situations previously or have you have you been in a situation where only after you thought wow actually the warning signs were there but i ignored them and do you think in a way it's a good thing that we do ignore them you know hopefully Anya's going to be fully restored and fully recovered at some point and and actually she was going to be ill anyway um it's, it's certainly unfortunate for her tent mates who, who who wouldn't have caught tb otherwise but then there are probably plenty of other people that would have caught it through Anya's um interactions and maybe the mds was a thing that actually 
triggered it so aggressively so that she could respond to it and, and get it sorted quicker. Um, but what do you think, do Dubellas? Um, if you've liked this episode, some other good ones to listen to are um, Charlie Webster. Oh, do do, do you know, make sure you're in a happy frame of mood before that one, though. It's a very emotional story where she cycles to the Olympics in Brazil to to have a big break in television, and it all goes terribly wrong. I won't say too much more than that. Um, if you love extreme, then the two stories about the, the James Paul, for example, who who ran across China. I think it's a 350 kilometer a mile march in one go and his hallucination story is amazing as well but um we've got some really good episodes coming up i i know i do ask you to suggest guests and tag us into those and thank you for those people that have i actually was very efficient about two months ago and booked up 10 weeks worth of potties we're now at the end of those. So actually, I'm going to go and respond to all of you lovely people who suggested guests. So if you've not heard back from me and you've, we've not got them on yet, then that's why um, we're, we're doing our next wave of interviews. If you've liked this podcast, please do leave us a review on iTunes. It does make a, a big difference to our visibility and also to... Um, just to our ratings and how we're perceived by potential sponsors and potential guests. Other than that, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with uh, a more typical episode where it's not just going to be my terrible voice. Hopefully, Jody and Ali's terrible voice will also be there. So, see you then. Fuck you, buddy. Bye 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 bye. Baby, come back. Bye 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around, but that doesn't mean that you have to leave. Yes, and give me one more try Cause a love like this Should I never ever die Come back Fuck you, buddy